And I learned this years ago from an advisor when he was talking about trying to find perfect people for positions. And I was debating between this one guy that had a lot of energy, he was younger, didn't have an experience, and this other guy who had a lot more experience. Just the vibe wasn't there, you know? He had more experience, more knowledge, but he's just kind of a bump on a log. And he goes, Lynn, you know, what you want to do, I would much rather restrain a fanatic than try and revive a corpse. And it was this powerful, like, lesson, like, oh, I get that, man. So I'm much more of the time, like, okay, come on, we're, let's, let's go in this direction, go this right direction for me, than saying, come on, get up, get up. And I like to apply that to anything I'm doing. I want to find the fanatics, the people that are hungry, that are passionate, they, the twinkle in their eye, that really are just, they want to learn more. They want to consume whatever it is you have sharing. What's up? My name is CJ Finley, and this is the Thrive on Life podcast. I started a brand called Thrive on Life to help other mission-based people, brands, and businesses thrive. Each week, we interview people on topics of business, health, relationships, mindset, and much more to help us thrive in all areas of life. If the messages in this podcast resonate with you, but you're still feeling a little bit stuck in actually implementing these ideas, I'd love to help you on a more personalized level or connect you with somebody that can. So please reach out. Also, if you've got a friend who you know could benefit from hearing this episode, please share the love with them. My goal is always to spread positive impact through the sharing of knowledge, and I would be honored if you could help me achieve this goal. In today's episode, Lynn Graft joins us on the show. He is a consultant, coach, video producer, author, and chief story officer of the CPG brand Share Snacks. While currently helping to build brand awareness for Share, Lynn has used his platforms to help other entrepreneurs learn how to create, tell, and share their stories through TV shows and web series. His clients and projects have included CNBC's first primetime TV series, American Made, Entrepreneur Magazine, Microsoft, South by Southwest, with also having media projects for Deep Eddie Vodka, Samsung, Salesforce, Conscious Capitalism, and many more. Lynn is someone who practices what he preaches and always brings a super authentic and contagious vibe of positive energy wherever he goes. And I'm stoked you get to hear his passion for helping others come through when you listen to this episode. Please welcome to the show, Lynn Graft. What is up, Thrive Fam? CJ Finley here again with another episode of the Thrive on Life podcast. And with me here today is one of my favorite people here in Austin, Texas, Mr. Lynn Graft. He is the founder of Storytelling for Entrepreneurs and the Chief Story Officer at Share Snacks. Incredible product, incredible human being, and I'm very excited for today's conversation. And we're going to kick it off with a poster or a poster board that Lynn brought in today. This is the first time that anybody's brought their own poster board into my podcast studio. So I'm super intrigued uh, to kind of dive right into what is this poster board that says start with story? One of the things I always preach towards founders and entrepreneurs and executives is that they don't really use enough props in their business of storytelling. And this was an unplanned prop, but most of the time we're thinking of, you know, you've got swag such as hats or t-shirts. In the case of my new company, Share Snacks, I've got actual product I can pass out and give to people. But with an author, when I got done, um, what happened was my book was coming out right in the February timeframe, February 1st. And I was getting ready to have a party and be prepared to give out my books. But the problem was my book wasn't ready by the time it was going to be released. It was going to be ready on Amazon physically, but there was a screw up in terms of when the physical books would be available for me to give out to these events that I was having. I was having an event every day for that release week being released on a, on a Monday. And I'm like, it's Sunday. I'm like, oh crap, what am I going to do? So I had the artwork for the cover and I thought, well, why don't I just make a poster? So I made a poster and it was this historic, it was this hysterical week. The first day I went on South Congress and it was Monday morning, eight o'clock. I took this poster board that I had made on a Sunday and it's got the front and back of the book. So it looks just like the book. I went on South Congress right in front of Amy's ice cream across from the coffee shop right across the street. And I just stood there like those sign people and just waved at people as they're driving by with the sign. I was flipping it and rolling it and everyone's honking <laughs> and people are like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm a published author. Yes. I was screaming like that. Did that for an hour. And I went down on town Lake. It did the same time where people were running by. And I ended up just taking this oversized book cover essentially with me every day that week. And it became this, this kind of instant story machine 
for every event that I went to. And now I've kept it, you know, the book's been out for three years now and it sits as a background whenever I'm doing Zoom calls, I take it to events, wherever I'm going, just because of background prop. And it's really to help uh, let you know as a founder that there's so many different ways to get your brand out there that, that you really don't think of. Once you start thinking outside the box, just a lot of ways to kind of get your name, get your story, get your brand out there in a fun and innovative way. So I don't have to tattoo my face is what you're saying. <laughs> you get a temporary tattoo. That'll work good. I'll, I'll think about doing some temporary tats for South by Southwest of, of share snacks and story on the other side. Yeah, I think that would work. And it, the, the cool thing is that you have the poster board and it really represents to me everything that you are. And I've noticed over the time that I've no, known you is that every time that you post a piece of content, it has something to do with a story. And I think a lot of people out there, they kind of flip content on its head where they're thinking, what can I be posting? Rather, what can I be doing for my life? And how can I be living my life to then tell a cool story around that? And that's something that I think that you really do well. And the first question that I have in, in that realm is, was that always the case when you got into storytelling? Was the focus always on what story are, is, is Lynn living? Or was it more focused on, I would say, for talking books, people are like, I want to sell the book rather than like, I want to tell a good story. Because for me, kicking that, kicking this podcast off with you talking about sitting out in South Congress, and if you're here in Austin, Texas, just imagine a random guy on a random day holding a poster board out in the middle of South Congress with a book title basically as the poster board. Like that's kind of out there a little bit, even on a street that you would consider out there. Um, were, were you always like that? Was that learned? Did you, did you read books to get to that? Like what, what was it? If you look at my family in general, whenever we gather for holidays or events, we're always telling stories. It's just kind of in our nature because we're trying to entertain and just uh, share fun things or even sad things that happen in our family. So I, there's probably a little bit of a natural kind of gravitation towards the desire to entertain people. I love pe making people smile. And stories are a great way to do that. And subtle surprises, making them, uh, telling a joke. I'm, I'm not really a joke teller per se, but I always got lots of stories, especially in business. When I started formally doing this, I've been on, on this journey for about 18 years. It was a video producer and I had no desire at all. Just my best friend asked me, she goes, hey, I want to do this story about women CEOs raising capital in Texas in the high-tech sector. I knew exactly why she wanted to do that is because we had just got done doing a high-tech company and she was a CEO, I was a VP of marketing in a very chauvinistic state in Texas and in a predominantly male-run community such as software technology. And as an example, we'd be in these rooms and there'd be a venture capitalist and maybe a lawyer and they'd always look at me even though she was a CEO. And I would literally have to turn my head so they would listen to her. So part of what the reason she wanted to do this is show women they could do it, give them ideas how to have, and then go out and profile that type of thing. So I've, it was, it's a lot different sharing a story than capturing it on video so that someone's going to be entertained or informed and watch the entire length of piece, whichever you have. So the, I was never formally trained going to film school. It was more, I think that's interesting. Let's capture that. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's really good. And then sifting through a lot of crap saying, yeah, that's not very good, not very good. And, and I can get into this more, but a lot of what you do as a storyteller where you're capturing content and to make a piece that goes on television or on video or for live events, if it's 60 seconds or 60 minutes, it has to be entertaining or they won't watch it. It has to bring value to them. So that part I had to learn. And that was more through just the act of doing it over and over. And now 18 years, I can do it pretty quickly for a lot of different formats. Um, and then being around great storytellers helps. So I worked with teams from, from CNBC when, I, when we did our television show for CNBC. And I watched great editors and I would watch them align music. And then they bring in a visual and then a soundbite, right? That's not how you necessarily think as a person, you usually leave with what you want to say, right? That's typically what you want to get out, what you want to say. But music has this unbelievable power to take us places, to transport us. Visual has a way to just immediately capture your attention and put you in a vibe. 
And then when you hear a sound bite after that, you're like, you're already prepped and ready. You know, you've kind of been doing the foreplay visually, audio wise, before you hear the actual content that you're going to consume. So being around people like that. And at the end of the day, you, me, every founder out there, we all know things that entertain us. We are great critics. We decide every single day what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, what podcasts you listen to, what you watch on television, what book you listen or, or read, what movie you go see. So we have this inner critic ability to decide what's good and not good. And that is a great asset I've learned to take advantage of to say, yeah, that sucks. That sucks. Oh, that's good. That, then that has given me kind of that North Star, if you will, of guiding me as my professional career as a producer director has developed over the years, using that North Star of what's good or what's bad without filters. It, it's kind of one of those things. One of the most important things that I want you guys to take away from my lessons today is that nobody cares about your book, nobody cares about your product, and nobody cares about your service. They really don't. All they care about is what is your book or what is your product or what is your service going to do for you or for someone that you care about? Once you get that through your head, you're like, oh, all right, okay. Then you, you lose, you remove that emotional attachment to whatever it is that you're doing. And you kind of think, you know what? I'm, and it, it's one of those things that you don't necessarily have to try and please you, right? That's not what I'm saying. You have to figure out what do I believe and what I've done is going to bring value to you, much like the point of your podcast is for me to bring value to your audience. It's like, what do I have to offer in a genuine, authentic way that I think you can learn from or benefit from or someone you know might benefit from? And if you don't, that's cool. <laughs> don't worry about it. It's like, all right, great. You're not my audience. You know who somebody is? You know, like That's how you got to get into that mode of just remove the emotions and just start putting that content out there and and bring passion to whatever it is you're going to be talking about. Because if you're not passionate about it, nobody else will be. So many great points there. And I love this topic of discussion because with the business consultant and brand consulting that I've done in the past, you're working with founders that are passionate and they believe so much in their product or service, but convincing them that like the reality is nobody cares. And you, it's almost once you convince them, because like once I convinced myself years ago, it becomes more fun because then you're doing it, as you said earlier, to put a smile on someone's face, to, to add value to somebody's life, to help them live healthier, happier, and better lifestyles. No matter whether you're a physical product, a software, a food, like share. I love the name of that because sharing is caring. Uh, we were shooting some fun content before we jumped on here. We were doing, uh, I was juggling and sharing the, the share with, with Lynn, but that's what it's really, that's what it's really about. And I think when people are first starting, they get in this loop of expectations rather than appreciating the fact that they even get to do this in the first place. And I'd love to backtrack a little bit here. You were talking about how you were producing high-end products and content for the likes of CNBC and other places like that. What are some th unexpected things that you picked up along the way that could potentially help somebody else out there that is storytelling or creating content? So to give context to this, it's for me, there's like little things when I started a podcast, we were talking about this earlier, where I'm also writing on the side and I realized, ooh, I could write for one group of people, but then I can flip some of this writing into other podcasts. Was there things happening at like the likes of CNBC where there's like little things that you picked up that helped you, let's just say, write the book or when you're helping other people storytell and other brands and businesses? There's, there's a couple things I'll, I'll share with you for, that helped me, and I didn't necessarily recognize it at the time, but as I look back, I it evolved for me, and now I really try and help founders that are get new to storytelling or trying to get better at is in, in an analogy I'll give, in, grad, in undergrad, I was an engineer, and I, I was always been athletic, had skied a couple times in my life. Even though I grew up in New Mexico, I just wasn't next to a mountain, so I didn't ski a lot. And my buddy, Jim Smith, he says, he's got this high-pitched voice. He's always excited. He grew up in Rideau, so in the mountains, skiing, badass skier. He could do flips and backflips and all this stuff. 
And he's like, Lynn, man, you got to come be a ski instructor with me. We just f- drive up there on the weekends. We ski, we, we teach, and then we ski on the afternoons. I'm like, Jim, I, I'm not that good of a skier. He goes, I don't care, man. We'll teach you how to teach. You're an athlete. I mean, sorry, what he said was, we'll teach you how to ski. I know you're a good instructor because I've been teaching math. I've been tutoring math in college to the football team and to students that immigrated to the United States. Very challenging. You have a lot of patience when you teach athletes math that are not making. So <laughs> I, did, I had a lot of patience and you got to have that in skiing. And he goes, we'll teach. So, and he was right. I went up there. I got immediately got into it. They taught me the basics of what I need to teach for, to beginning instructors. And one thing he said, after a couple of weeks, I was already improved quite a bit because I'd been on the mountains. We had started through the holidays and I was probably 10 days on the snow. And I improved dramatically over that period of time because I was athletic, I listened, I was hungry to learn, and I'm teaching all day. So you're these principles, you're like, and he goes, dude, once you become a ski instructor, you're already better than 1% of the entire population in the, in the world at skiing. And it was true. About a year later, I'd been teaching part-time for a year, and I would go to most mountains, and I was better than most people on the mountain just because I'd been on the snow a lot of days and not a lot of people get to do that. And that is an analogy I love founders to think about. Whatever it is that you're doing, if you have paid your dues and have spent time in this, you're going to develop an expertise that you have so much more knowledge, so much more information, so much more experience in whatever kind of track that you're in, that you're way better than most of the people out there. That in and of itself should hopefully give you confidence that what you have to share is valuable to a lot of other people. You don't have to be better than the teachers or the experts out there. You just want to be better than the people that are hungry for whatever it is that you have, whether that's knowledge, a product, information, access. You Just the simple act of doing that elevates who you are, what you stand for, and your level of expertise. And then once you look around and you see everybody else on the mountain trying to ski, you're like, damn, I'm better than that person. That person. You're riding up the lift. Yeah, I could do that. Oh, I can't do that. You know, you, 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 and you get better and better over time. And now I've been doing it for 18 years for a, a ski instructor, uh, not a ski instructor, as a producer director. Um, I feel really good about my talent. And especially one thing I've also learned is that I now know that I can help almost anybody be a better storyteller at any level of executive experience there is. You know, obviously, I, I don't think I could make Steve Jobs a better storyteller, but I could definitely help Elon Musk be a better storyteller. Um, so things like that. I, just, I feel very strong in my ability to do that because I've done it so much. And I've sat one-on-one, one-to-many in rooms, and I'm able to help just about any. So, so that just goes back to even if you've only been in the game for a short period of time in whatever discipline, whatever business you're doing, you're already better than most people out there. Leverage that. The second thing I'll share with you is that you, you kind of have to get out of your own head thinking that someone's going to take value what you have to share. And I'll give you an example of what this is that by someone coming to your podcast, they're already interested in the topic that you're going to be covering because they otherwise they wouldn't be there in the first place. Or whenever you go to... Um, like the MSW lab, which you're affiliated, and they have these lunch and learns. And the people that are going there, they're interested in health and wellness. And as long as you have something to share in health and wellness, then just go off. So what I mean by that is that don't worry about trying to make sure that that person is interested or going to take value. Just bring the value. Because generally speaking, they came to that speaker session, they bought your book, they're listening to your podcast they, because they already have an interest in that space or in that content or whatever it is. So don't worry about trying to convince them to be interested. Just sh- go off and say, oh my God, you love storytelling. I love storytelling. Let's talk about storytelling. You love share snacks. You love healthy, good for you, organic, raised from a source from small family-owned farms. Oh my God, this is plastic-free. You just got to get into it and just expect them to be interested. And if they're not... Be grateful. And that's a really hard thing to do. It goes hand in hand with that. Expect them to be interested. And if they're not, say, all right, thanks a lot. Let me find and go people who are. You want to find the people that are thirsty for your Kool-Aid and trying to convince them that your Kool-Aid is something they should be drinking.
What's up, guys? I'd like to take a second to thank you for tuning into this episode with Lynn. I hope you are loving this conversation so far. But before we get back into it, I have an opportunity I want to tell you about. As we all know, life is hard. It can beat you down, have you feeling low, and make it seem like you are alone. I'm here to remind you, though, that the most worthwhile journeys, they are not meant to be taken alone. And right now, you have the ability to take action and join others, including myself, on the mission to make every heartbeat count. Head over to cjfinley.com and sign up for my daily newsletter, where I will be giving you information, impactful stories, tips and tricks, and access to a community who are focused on making an impact above and beyond themselves. You'll also have the perk of exclusive giveaways, potential shout outs, and possibly even some collaborations. The least that will happen is you will walk away into every day with an extra pep in your step. My promise is that I will always do my best to help you thrive on life. And this newsletter is one of the best ways for me to help you do so. So if you're looking to get to the next level of your life, connect with like-minded individuals and have a daily dose of info that will help you thrive, sign up for my newsletter at cjfinley.com. Now let's get back to the conversation with Lynn Graff. When I hear stories, I try to tie them back to small kind of analogies and metaphors so that I can remember them. And for what you just described, it makes me think of like the whole, you can go an inch deep and a mile wide or one inch wide and a mile deep. And for the skiing, I'm a snowboarder. Most people, they go a mile wide. And the reason is most people don't live by a mountain. So they go every once in a while and they learn just the general principles and like that gets them by. But the fact that you were just able to even go 10 days in a row, I don't think I've ever gone more than three days in a row in my life. So even there is like, that's three times the amount of the most I've ever went in a row. So you're going a mile deep and learning just by doing that. Um, And you can apply that to anything in your life. Podcasting, for instance, we're doing this right now. Like I could, an inch wide would just be just creating every once in a while and getting on whatever guests, whoever guests, whenever I want, rather than like really fine tuning and going, what type of content do we want? What type of value do I want to provide those those guests? Where do I think I'm going to be most valuable? And just like going really deep with it. So it reminds me of that. And then the second part of that story, for me, what it relates back to when we have... When you're talking about, this is the first time I've ever done this. I lost my train of thought on that one. (laughs) Um, Yeah, lost my train of thought. Um, I've actually never had that happen. But we're super authentic here on the Thrive (laughs) Life podcast. And man, just really thinking about, so you had the 10,000 hours. And then really at the end of the day, you really want to find out who's not for you. And the only way you do that is you got to be a little bit polarizing and you don't have to, I think a lot of people think polarization is what we see on social media. So you, you, you mentioned Elon Musk and some other people, highly polarizing people, but reality is most people are so low energy that even if you're just as rambunctious as Lynn just was with his share snacks, you're going to be polarizing to those people and that's going to turn some people off, but it's also going to turn the people that you want on and it's going to help you build your community. And that's really where I was going with that whole thing. I forgot I'll, it there. I'll for share a you a great analogy. I always talk with my business partner about this and we were looking at recruiting people or brand ambassadors or fans. And I learned this years ago from an advisor when he was talking about trying to find perfect people for positions. And I was debating between this one guy that had a lot of energy, he was younger, didn't have an experience, and this other guy who had a lot more experience. Just the vibe wasn't there, you know? He had more experience, more knowledge, but he's just kind of a bump on a log. And he goes, Lint, you know, what you want to do, I would much rather restrain a fanatic than try and revive a corpse. And it was this powerful, like, lesson, like, oh... I get that, man. So I'm much more of the time like, okay, come on, we're, let's, let's go in this direction. Go this right direction for me than saying, come on, get up, get up. And I like to apply that to anything I'm doing. I want to find the fanatics, the people that are hungry, that are passionate, they, they twinkle in their eye that really are just, they want to learn more. They want to consume whatever it is you have sharing um, in the same way that 
that you and a lot of people that you spend time with, there's this community of really people in the health and wellness space. They love going to events. They love watching and consuming content. They're creating content, surrounding themselves by general interesting things that are interesting to them. And I think that's what you got to do. You got to find those fanatics and trying, instead of trying to revive corpses in your audience, whether that's a buying customer or someone attending one of your events or trying to buy your books along those lines. That's a phenomenal analogy. And it's one of those things that is so, it's like unspoken, but we're talking about storytelling and, and brand building. The most important thing for a brand is the people behind it. And I think that doesn't really get talked about as much, especially like in the digital age where it's all about looking a certain aesthetic and how good is your video and, and photos and things like that. But really the people behind it and the stories that they're telling individually are what what matter the most. And I've never, I've never actually heard <laughs> that, that analogy before, but that one's going to stick with me. And, um, my wife's going to love that one because I am the fanatic and I turn a lot of people off over the, over the years because I'm so passionate about what I'm doing, um, and intense in, in some times, but going back to storytelling and building communities, community is such a huge thing for me. And it's something that I've seen that you are in a, so many different communities and integrating yourself in what should people be doing? We've been talking about business brand, but what should people be doing for their personal brand when it comes to the want to build a community or join communities that have like-minded people in them? Because I know from personal experience that the more that I share stories, the more connected I get in different communities. But is there any like principles that you live by in terms of that or skills and tactics where people like someone's listening to this and they want to build a community? How do they tell a story to actually build the community around whatever their brand or business that they're trying to do? I would probably break it down even simpler terms than that. Sometimes you just need to put it out there what you're wanting or searching for. And that can be as simple as asking the person next to you or posting on a social media or you go to an event, someone asks you what you do and you kind of tell with them and you kind of say, you know, but I really want to get into podcasting. Do you know anybody or a group I can belong to that's into podcasting? So when I started wanting to get more involved in the consumer packaged goods space, CPG, which is packaged goods like this, I started asking people, I'd already filmed some CPG companies before that, such as Sweet Leaf Tea and Deep Eddy Vodka. I'd done videos for them. But I didn't necessarily even associate the term consumer packaged goods with those brands. I was more like, um, I need to find some experts in there. And so I just started asking people, hey, who's someone I should chat with? And it was that simple step is probably the most important one. Because if you ask someone for help, you forget that all of us really innately, we want to help people. It is something ingrained with us since we're children. I don't know if it's purposefully done. It just, if someone asks you for your help, you generally want to help them. I'm a natural connector. If you mention something that you're, I will make a note to myself and you'll get an email or text me, hey, you need to meet this person. That's kind of who I am. Not everybody's like that. But if someone asks you, do you know somebody who's in podcasting or is in consumer packaged goods or is in health and wellness? Generally, people want to help. So that's a first volley, if you will. The second volley is goes back to just starting you know as you know you, you've talked about it, let's like that's that if you want to work out um start working out and there was a a person i helped in my family a while back and i had asked her she not she was not doing very well with health and i said so what are you doing she goes nothing really if i walk it hurts my leg i said well can you bike I'm like yeah i really haven't and she had a stationary bike and i said well I, what i want you to do i want you to ride that stationary bike for a minute a day that's it. Just a minute. I don't care what it is. Just turn that sucker on. And a funny side note of that. She goes, yeah, the thing's not working. It won't turn on. And I started thinking about it. Have you ever used it? She goes, no. Like, did you turn the pedals? And she goes, <laughs> what do you mean? I said, well, actually those things turn on when you move the pedals. So that was kind of a, a example of she had not been working out. But a minute turned into two minutes a day, turned into three minutes a day, turned into 10 minutes a day. She got to 10 minutes. She goes, I'm getting bored. I want to do something else. So I gave her three or four, you know, 
fitness kind of workouts to do. Uh, she wanted to do something simple. So I just gave her some, I, told, I said, go buy a kettlebell, something that you can swing a couple of times up. She goes, what's a kettlebell? So I send her a video like that. And what you'll find is that everybody's hungry for something. And as you dive into something, you take that first step, it exposes you to communities by simply putting it out there. And when you, when you want to, when you, once you kind of do those first steps, asking for help, putting information out there, finding individual communities, that the thing I recommend first and foremost, after you've kind of done those initial steps, is whatever it is that you want to be good at, do it and become experienced at it as quickly as possible. Make mistakes, fall forward quickly. And it's the same thing when you're making a video. If, you're t if you want to be good at taking photos, you got to take a lot of photos. If you want to be good at making videos, you got to make a lot of videos. You just got to start doing it and doing it. And what's interesting thing is people will gravitate towards you and then you'll gravitate towards those communities. So let's say, for instance, you want to build, you know, a hundred person community here in Austin on podcasting. Then you start every person you meet, write their name down, build a spreadsheet. Eventually you have that hundred person and you use that to kind of leverage. So it's, it's less about... I'm not an expert per se at building communities in the in the formal sense of the words, such as building an online community such as Facebook, things like that. I have a ton of informal communities that I'm part of here in Austin and across the country because I've done all those steps that I just mentioned to you. There's none of that's rocket science. That's just kind of doing the work. And there's the the, the prophecy that says, or it's a self self-fulfilling prophecy. If you say I'm a video producer, I'm a video producer, I'm a video producer, events producer, and if you keep doing it, you'll become a video producer. Same thing with podcasting. I'm sure when you started out, you weren't like a very good podcaster, but now you're a great podcaster, right? And it's because you've put in the miles. It goes back to do something for a short period of time, but consecutive days, or you spend those first hundred of those 10,000 hours, you're going to be a lot better than most of the people on the planet. I love that. And it comes back to also asking the questions of the, the asking yourself the hard questions. So you're saying like when you first start something, I think most people going back to expectations, well, was it your cousin or who, who was, that was it? my sister, your sister with, with the bike, you did an, a phenomenal job. That advice can cross over to almost anything in life is most people she's holding the expectation around her identity of someone who doesn't work out or someone who's not a videographer, like you were saying, rather than realizing at the end of the day, like a person who works out is just somebody who works out for one minute. That's really it. Like it's not, there's no, nobody's here judging you whether you're doing it or not doing it. But the reality is she was hungry that she, she wanted to do this thing, but her identity a little bit was holding her back. And the story that she was telling herself in her own mind it's super helpful to break that down for people, especially like in the podcasting space where you mentioned the show in general. When I first started, the whole goal wasn't to start off as a great podcaster. I was asking myself the hard question of like, what actually makes a great podcast? And then just writing those things down and saying, well, can I even attain these unless I record hundreds of podcasts? And the answer was no. So I literally told myself, the only way I attain the expectation of having becoming a great podcast co host and having a great podcast show is if I record hundreds of podcasts. So when we're talking fitness or health or business, it's the same thing. It's like, if I want to be a premier athlete, I have to practice thousands of times. Otherwise, reduce my expectation and then I don't need to be, like most people, you don't need to be the premier athlete or the premier podcast host or even a premier entrepreneur. Most people just want enough money to do the things that they want to do with the people that they want to do them with and have a fulfilling life. And I think we hold ourselves back by the stories that we're telling in our head of like what we need to be versus the reality, um, which is why I love the story storytelling topic in the in the first place. But I'd love to shift gears a little bit here um, and learn a little bit more about this product that we have here today, which is Share. Um, how did you initially get involved with well, a snack be product? Before we move onto that thing, I do want to leave kind of the audience with some simple steps to get started. I think it's important for anybody who wants to get better at storytelling or learn how to tell a story. I think that's important. And then 
I can kind of dovetail that into talking about share. Perfect. One of the one of the things you need to realize as a founder is that nobody has your story and that's your power. Because nobody has the set of experiences that you've had, has the information that you've learned, and has the network that you have. That goes back to community as well. You're the only person in the entire world that has those three things. Once you recognize that, it's going to enable you to foster or craft something that's unique and special that becomes your story. So don't overcomplicate that. It's just that no one has followed your journey. And that is unique in and of itself. And it's just finding those special moments. And as a founder, let's say like, okay, all right, I'm special. What am I special about? I'm like, all right, let's, let's start with square one. There's a reason that you founded this company or something happened in your life to put you on this path. Something happened. And generally speaking, you become a business owner, founder, or an entrepreneur not because it's easy, it's because something has triggered you to move in that path. And if you think of that particular moment or series of moments is where I'd recommend you start with your storytelling. And the definition of story that I came up with after reading tons of books on it, studying, I spent you know, 10 years learning about the art and science of storytelling over the last decade. I'm, and I'm already 20,000 hours in this craft. In, these, in the last two decades. And there was a lot of formal definitions. Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey. Um, Gustav Freytag has a five-part story journal, even Aristotle and a lot of those people. For me, for a business owner, it's as simple as there is an experience that happened in your life that has a powerful relationship to the current business that you're doing that either convinced you to start it or put you on that path to start it. If you find that moment there's a gem in there. And it's up to you to take that gem and shine it up so it becomes interesting and compelling. Because I guarantee you, you're gonna be asked as a business owner hundreds, if not thousands of times. So first, what do you do for a living? And you tell them, well, I'm a business owner, I do this. And they say, well, why did you start that? Or how did you start that? It's teed up for you. If you go out every night, you're gonna be asked this question, 100%. Facts. No question in my mind whatsoever. So what you want to do is take that clay, if you will, dig into it and find that moment. And it may not be that exciting to start out with, but you can make it exciting. You can make it meaningful. If it's meaningful to you, running a business is hard. Why would you do this if you're not a little bit crazy? And that is powerful medicine to kind of get the journey started. And the last thing I'll share with you from that perspective is that great storytelling is rarely easy. So the best videos I've ever made, most of the best stories I've ever told or been in the process of creating them took a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. And this goes back to it's when I was developing my craft as becoming a producer, we'd go film high-profile high founders, founders of Starbucks and, and LinkedIn and Whole Foods, the, the Playboy, uh, Hugh Hefner, Christy Hefner, you know, all these big time founders of these companies. So we're doing it for television show, 48 minutes. 48 minutes is a long time to have a show about one person. It's really difficult to do. And this was going to be the, we had come up with this idea for a show, never been done before. Me and my best friend, Ingrid Vanderbilt, were pitching the show to CNBC. They bought into it. So we go out there. Okay, we got, we nailed down Howard Schultz. We had to kind of build the show before we went to go interview him. So I built what I, over time, I learned how to build these dossiers, if you will, anywhere from 80 to 100 page documents of every article or interview or web page, whatever I could find about them. I would put it all together. And just like my undergrad days studying for engineering programs or MBA I'm studying, I'd highlight that Word document. I'd sit there and highlight it in, in my computer. And I'd, and I just kind of start distilling it down, distilling it down, 90 pages to 30 pages, get it down to 20 pages, 10 pages, and generally about three or four pages is what the show would be about. That's all it is. But it was that distillation process of taking something super long and complicated or your background, the things you've done in your past to make great stories. It takes that elbow grease of figuring out, okay, what is all the information I could talk about? 
what do I think people might want to listen to? What do I really want to share? And you just keep distilling it down. It's just like a great sauce. You keep condensing that sauce. It gets better and better. It's been cooking on the stove all day long. The longer you cook it and distill it down to those choice few gem of words, that's where stories go from an inkling of an idea about why I started this company into this compelling dissertation that might last 30 seconds or three minutes or 30 minutes that someone is going to mesmerize someone. I'm going to pull you into my brand. I'm going to want you to buy my product and do all the other things. So I didn't mean to digress, but I wanted to make sure your audience understood some of the key elements when it comes to storytelling from whether you're a podcaster, an author, the owner of a consumer packaged goods or technology, a fitness coach, you want to do that, that elbow grease work so that you come up with great, compelling stories because you're going to be asked about it all the time. That's amazing because it also reminds me to look at the flip side of that. And I think that's where a lot of people also grab value. What are people doing wrong that you see? I'm guilty of this sometimes too. The number one mistake that most founders do, they talk too long. I what is too long? <clears throat> if someone says, hey, you've got 60 seconds to give me an overview of your company and take three minutes. I see that, especially in the founder community that we're involved with, happens all the time. Like, okay, <laughs> there's a question I get asked all the time and it's very akin towards how a story link. It says, how long should my video be? My clients ask me that on a regular basis. Or a founder says, I want to develop a story for whatever particular reason. How long should it be? And it's kind of like, well, how long is a string? Generally speaking, shorter is always better. It's really hard to tell a long, great story. So what you want to do is start small and grow from there. Create your best 60-second pitch that you can. If it's good, they're going to want you to talk more. And then make a two-minute version. And then make a three-minute version. So it's one of those things that it doesn't matter if you want to start with that dossier methodology that works. I'm more of an engineer background, MBA. I like all that information. Some people are like, I don't know where to start. I'm saying, well, just write down a few words and talk about that. And you, can, and you can easily just say, you know, I got into fitness because I had a family member who was sick. And I wanted to help her or I wanted to... My dad passed away from a lot of illnesses. One of the, I'm not an expert in healthcare, but I spend a lot of time around health and wellness experts and people with knowledge because I don't want to end up in the same way that my dad did. That small little sharing is a very powerful way to make an emotional connection with someone. At the end of the day, CJ, storytelling is about making an emotional connection. That's it. It's not any more complicated than that. If I make an emotional connection with you, then you have a higher probability of listening to what I have to say and consuming the content that I'm going to share with you. So that's super, really important. And that's just as, as an example of what are people doing wrong. On that. Okay. It's beautiful because you break it down into, if you can't get people to, to listen and learn from 60 seconds of what you have to say, how can you expect them to listen to 60 minutes? And I do this when I write as well. It's, the first objective is to get people to read the first paragraph. And then the second objective is, is the first paragraph good enough for them to read the second paragraph? Well, you got to break it. Even the copywriting, the first line, the goal is to read them the second line. Yep. Which is the third line. So that's, that's like copywriting 101 to the greatest advertisers in the world still talk about that. And there's so much truth to that, especially with as much information that we're consuming these days. And you, you hit know? the nail on the head with the emotion. It's just like in 60 seconds, can you get an emotional response from somebody? And emotion isn't based off length. That's the beautiful part about it. Thank you for kind of like counter-objecting my, my question about <laughs> yeah. share and like share. sharing all that. Um, well, that I'll was, share a story awesome. about how I got involved with Share Snacks. I was speaking at the Paleo FX conference three years ago and I just got done and I'm leaving the conference and there's this corner of the convention center that was the worst spot in the entire conference. It's dark. There's no traffic over there, but I was leaving that way out of the building and I was hungry and I see this guy standing there, big smile on his face. He's got this share booth going on and he, and he had food. I'm like, okay, I'm starving. I walked up to him and I had my book with me. I'm like, hey, I'll swap you my book for some trail mix. And he goes, all right, cool. And he just started talking. 
And it turns out he was used to be a professional ski instructor as well. He was a professional skier first. Then he did a traveling ski circuit second. And then he got into ski instruction and a lot of these things. Obviously, I was an outdoors guy. I'd been a ski instructor before. We both were passionate about telling stories. We were just trading stories left and right. And while we're talking, I'm kind of I'm kind of like eating this. We had like doing this and I'm eating. I'm like, man, this stuff's good. And he's talking. I'm like, this stuff is really good. So about 10 minutes went like, I'm like, what did you put in this? It's like crack. This is the best trail I've ever had in my life. And he goes, well, I'm glad you asked. And he just starts going off about what this was all about. And, and I was just enamored by the common passion that we shared, the fact that we had a lot of interests around skiing and outdoors and nature and storytelling. And he just started talking more about this product. I'm like, and I've been around a lot of founders. He's pretty passionate about this product. And he, he's, the one thing that kind of hooked me and I learned so much more about it was the sustainability aspect about it. So just to give you a little context from it, he spent three years working on the recipe to get the exact right nine ingredients for this trail mix. And then he spent another year sourcing the ingredients to make sure it was the best of each one of those ingredients. So our coconut comes from Sri Lanka. That has the best coconut in the entire world. Our cranberries comes from the largest cranberry bog in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. That has the best cranberries, all organic as well. Our blueberries and our cherries come from Washington, from organic farms, from this third generation organic farmer up there. Our chocolate comes from this fifth generation chocolatier out of San Francisco. Our pecans come from this organic farmer in Texas. There's not a lot of organic farms. And our almonds and our cashews and our pistachios come from California, which some have some of the best in the world. And he just starts going off, telling about all these things like, oh my God, no wonder it tastes so good. And he goes, oh, I know, because ingredients really do matter. And it come to find out he'd spent 37 years working in the outdoor space, working for Ugg and Keen and Vibram and Royal Robbins. These are top level brands in each of their respective categories. And when he came up with this idea to create a trail mix, because and just to give you a little side note there, he was training for a, the New York Marathon, trying to hit sub five minute miles. And he, he's in his 50s at this time. And he blew out his Achilles at the time. And like at that point, you're not going to recover to get that level anymore. So he switched to yoga and to CrossFit as a way to stay in shape. And he needed a satiating meal so that he would he was hungry all the time because he switched to a paleo diet when he did those things. And he's like, oh, I'll eat trail mix. Discovered all trail mix sucks. It's usually full of fillers and M&Ms and sugars. It's been sitting on this thing for like a year and a half sometimes. When you eat trail mix out of those bins, sometimes they've been there for months, if not a year. It's just kind of the way the process works. So he said, I'm going to make the best tasting trail mix, elevate it towards higher than anything that was out there. And that's what put him on this three-year journey of developing the recipe, another year sourcing all the ingredients. So it's this paleo-friendly, vegan, gluten-free, GMO-free, grain-free, best tasting trail mix it ever have. And he talks about, oh, and let me tell you something. This is what he's telling me. He says, all of our packaging is plastic free. And I'm like, okay, that sounds interesting. I didn't know that much about it. And he says, look, if you go to Whole Foods right now, and if you walk down our aisle, we're going to be the only plastic free snack in there. And I was, I was like, yeah, that's bullshit. That can't be true. So I went the next week and I walked the aisles. This is Whole Foods, the preeminent yeah. natural it's grocer crazy. in the world. And I'm going aisle after aisle. It was depressing, CJ. I got to tell yeah. you, man. It was just like, oh my God, this is terrible. And we and recently, about two months ago, we did it, did it again. We went into our aisle. It has 400 SKUs on our aisle in the flagship store here in Austin in Whole Foods. And there are 400 SKUs in our aisle with snacks. And it's trail mix and snack bars and everything else. And we have two SKUs. We have a bag and this tube right here. That's two and there's 400 if they were to remove all the plastic packaged goods on our aisle, how many think would be left out of 400? Two. That was it. <laughs> this was two months ago we did that. And when I heard that part of what he was kind of marching, those that kind of that vision for sustainability and conservation, and we do a lot of things. We, give, we donate to 1% for the planet. We get 20% of our profits at the Conservation Alliance. We just became climate neutral certified. We're working on our B Corp certification, which is a very elevated way to say you're super sustainable and conservation minded. It was, it was something that I, I just couldn't stop thinking about. I'd been involved with making sustainability 
videos for Dell for about 15 years now. So I'd learned a lot over the years about the general scope of the plastic damage to the, to the world. It was a great product with a great story, with a great vision to be the most sustainable snack brand in the company. That's kind of the, a vision I've been working with as what we're doing. So right now we think we are. We believe we're the number one most sustainable snack company, most earth-friendly snack that there is on the planet right now. And it was those elements that just caused me not to sleep at night, wanted me to pay more attention. I initially started working with him, consulting with him, coaching him. And then COVID had hit during that time. So we kind of went a little bit of our different ways. We always stayed in touch. I was helping him. In when, but then, you know, December 2020, I said, Peter, I think I want to be more involved. And he goes, yeah, all right. What does that mean? <laughs> so we worked out an equity deal. Now I'm going to partner in the company. And it's just been such a rewarding journey. And that's a long-winded way to give you an answer how I got started in this. But it's this, it was a storytelling rich environment with an amazing product with this unbelievable vision that we believe we can lead from the front and change the world because of how we're simply managing our packaging process. I think it represents everything that we've been talking about this entire episode from both fronts. So Peter how many stories was he living prior to share? Tons and tons and tons. And then same with you. And then what are the odds that you're at the same place at the same time and you run into him? And the beauty of this is just going back to the exchange in value that we were talking about earlier. When you're talking about nobody gives a crap about your product or your service, at the end of the day, most people just care about what you can do for them. Now in that moment, what he could do for you is satiate you because you're hungry. <laughs> but what you can do for him is not something that we talk about a lot in the entrepreneurial space. And a lot of entrepreneurs and founders are just looking for somebody to connect with and understand, understand them and the problem that they're solving. And most people, I'm assuming that were walking through Paleo FX, yeah, they, they just wanted to be satiated, but they weren't curious enough to actually provide the value to Peter that he needed, which was, yeah, he wanted to get people to like his product, but the reality is he's trying to get people to understand his story and what his product represents and how it can change the world and the planet. And you were the person to do that. So it's super cool to hear that from my side of things where you take just an ordinary, I was at a conference, we met story into, no, the reality is like, we both had needs that needed to be met and they were met that day and then now it sounds like continuing to be met as you grow, share, and share it with the world. And the cool thing for me with seeing the product is I'm an engineer at heart. And when you're talking about the packaging with it, so if you're listening to this, I just grabbed the, the container of share. You literally, it's unlike any packaging that I've seen um, in terms of trail mix. And you can take the, the lid off of it, pour some into the, the lid, and then I don't even have to touch the product. So it's something, I don't know if anybody else has noticed this with the product, but when you're talking about sustainability, even for me, it's, I have to wash my hands every time before eating a product or after eating a product especially like when I'm traveling, when I go through the airport, I hope everybody is washing their hands <laughs> yeah, before they eat, right? But the beauty of this product is no matter where I'm at, I can literally just open it up, dump it in, chuck some in my mouth, close it, and then I'm good to go. And I don't have to do anything even with my hands. So from a sustainability aspect, I don't even know if anybody that you've talked to uh, as a consumer of that has noticed that, but it's something I've noticed where Yes, the packaging is sustainable, but the engineering behind it is truly sustainable from the time you open it to the time you ingest it um, and the time you throw it out. You were the first person to bring that up to me. Peter might have had that before, but I never had really thought about that. And it's absolutely correct. 100%. Like I'm not using any water, no, no hand sanitizer, nothing. I just open it up, can chuck it in my mouth, never have to touch the product. From the time I open the product to the time I close the product for its last use, and then also the reusability of it. You can use this for other things. And again, that's the cool thing of working with companies like yours is like I've heard Peter talk about this, like you can reuse it. You don't just necessarily have to reuse it with share either. You can use it for a million different things um, and storage at your house, which is super cool. So 
the more that the world leans into brands like this, the better our world is going to become. And I'd love to understand a little bit more of what y'all are doing to share that story. So what principles, when you're talking about start with story, what principles are you using with this product to get it into more people's hands, but also when it comes to products like these, more shelves in stores? This would be a, I think it's a really good learning experience. When I met Peter, he had so much to talk about in terms of his background, in working in the outdoor space for 37 years, and then the journey he took about from how, why he got into running and skiing. You know, we talked for like an hour. Normally, a lot of people aren't going to give him that kind of patience, but I'm a storyteller. He was fun to talk to. I had the time. And it was really good. But one of the things I started working with him right away was taking a long format story and condensing that down. So if you go to our website now, it's a plug, sharesnacks.com, S-H-A-R dot S-N, no, S-H-A-R-S-N-A-C-K-S, sharesnacks.com, no E in share, is there was just too much information and we condensed that down. Now, we have to, from a communication standpoint, one of the biggest challenges we face, CJ, is that we have, so, and even though we've, we've whittled it down, there are so many stories that we could talk about, but you have a limited windows, whether you're doing demo sampling in a store, you've got an opportunity to pitch in, in front of an investor, you're talking to an, a salesperson for, or a buyer at one of these grocery stores, you have limited windows, right? So we have to think about what are we going to say? So what we've condensed that down is that we spent three years working on the recipe to articulate that this is, we're meticulous about how good it's going to taste. So that, that's good tasting as being number one. The second thing we talk about is we want to make sure that everyone knows this is incredibly healthy. So great tasting and health. And we share the health story by talking about, we spent another year sourcing the ingredients from all from small family owned organic farmers, no preservatives, no additives, exactly the way nature intended you to have it. So that way, you know, it's incredibly healthy. Three years on the recipe, a year sourcing ingredients from organic small family owned farms. And then we talk about, we have the most sustainable snack in the, in the, in the end. And for, if you can't really see it here, one of the things that we're going to be leaning on, but the third part of that was sustainability. This is, we are the most sustainable snack brand in the entire world because all of our packaging is plastic free. Going back to the earlier thing I talked about. Also, as you already referenced, this tube, if you will, this container is reusable. So the idea is you buy our bulk bags, you buy, let's put it this way. You buy our tube and buy it once, but we don't need to buy a bunch of tubes. Keep that. Don't throw it away. It's reusable up to a year. Buy the bulk bags, refill your tube. And this is a compostable bag. They're both compostable. So that way you're using less materials. And it's, even if you throw it away, it's going to turn it into dirt and things. So think about that. We've got our three pillars are great taste, incredibly healthy, and very sustainable. I was chatting with one of the, the chief marketing officer at a local CPG brand, they're about a $50 million brand here in town. Then I was talking with the CEO and the CMO at Vital Farms, which is the most sustainable egg company in the entire world. And they said they were trying to talk about a lot of different things, but they ultimately had to decide on one thing. They could not communicate all those three things because they were telling us, and, and we're so passionate about these three things, right? We want to tell you all that. And it says, you can't do that. As you start growing your brand, Initially, everyone's going to want to listen to what you have to say. They're going to give you that time. They're going to have patience. But as you move up the food chain, you grow your brand. The window of patience, this listening time that you have gets less and less because consumers at a high, at the, the less familiar they are with your brand, the less time you're going to get. So you can't lead with all three things anymore. So think of it this way. The more mature your brand becomes, the more pointed and succinct your story, your value proposition, your messages has to be. It's inversely related. When you're starting out, your fanatics will give you that time, that energy. But as you get, as you grow and you have less time in front of these people and people have less, you know, forgiveness, if you will, you have to get better and better at telling a very succinct story and typically hanging your hat on one hook because that's the only time you're going to have. If you try to do three hooks, which is what we're, we've been doing, it probably won't work. So to answer your question directly, we're really focusing on that one hook. Now we're still going to be talking about all these other things, but to build this brand, we're going to be leveraging this tube. I think that's the area we believe a lot of people will pay attention to being plastic free. It has to be great tasting. 
It has to be healthy. We're going to go after that thing, but we're going to lead with that as part of our branding mechanism. And so what we want to do um, in this kind of next iteration of the company, we're still a small brand. So next year is when we start getting these stories out. We're going to be testing a lot of different things, going back to what you were, you and I were talking about for this podcast. You got to put a lot of content out there and see what sticks. We think, we hope, we believe that this one thing will stick and these other three things are going to stick, but ultimately we're not quite sure until we get out there and test it. That's going to be super important for us on this next iteration of the company. So awesome. And you're right on the money with, you have the three pillars now and being able to test that and see where the market is for each of those. And even like you can even do subsets where you're testing, where you are using all those stories because the beauty of the world that we live in now and going back to community building. And I was talking to you about this at one of the events is we were at an event, a fitness event on a Saturday and the people at that event are going to taste your product and love your product for a different reason compared to at that same very moment somewhere in Texas, there was a sustainability group that was doing something. And then if you have the scale to be at both of those at the same time, you're just telling a little bit shifted of a story to those people. Now, the beauty of the internet is you can create that messaging and then target both of those groups at the same time and win overall because your third pillar, which was your first, is it tastes great to all of them. So the beauty of your product is you hit the number one nail on the head is it has to be good. And it's one of those things that I think goes unspoken because products that are really good, they always win. Nobody really talks about how great they taste because that's just the product itself. They end up talking about the marketing or the team or the brand. But I mean, if you look at like our cell phones, right? If the iPhone didn't work really well, Apple wouldn't be what it is. They could do all the branding in the world. Steve Jobs could do all the storytelling in the world. But the fact of the matter is they've built phones that work for a lot of people. End of story. That's it. So you're, I'm very excited for where Share is going because the product is that damn good. Like it's just out of this world good. And I can't wait for it to get into more hands and seeing you test the different markets and, and people really attaching uh, themselves to that story and the story that they're telling because this product will fit into their own story that they're telling uh, is going to be super cool. But we're getting towards wrapping up this conversation. Uh, we, always at, we always end the show in kind of the same way. Uh, first is if anybody loved this conversation that we had here today, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you? So um, I recommend going, LinkedIn is typically, if you want to connect with me on an individual level, I'm very open to accepting this, explain who you are, how you found out about me and reach out to me. So Lynn Graft, um, if you want to learn about Share Snacks, I go to that website, sharesnacks.com, which I referenced earlier. But generally speaking, you know, I'm on Instagram quite a bit. That's kind of my sharing a lot of fun, goofy stuff, whatever's happening in my life, whether it's business or personal, I don't care. I just put it all out there. That's probably, uh, and it's Lingraft, L-Y-N-G-R-A-F-T is the way you find me. It's probably the easiest way other than LinkedIn. Awesome. Definitely reach out to Lynn. He is the absolute man, such good vibes. And even if you just follow and watch his content, it's going to bring value to your life and, and good energy. So highly recommend that. Last question we always ask everybody is if you were to define the word thriving, if you were to tell a story around the, the word thriving, what would that look like? Thrive, thriving to me is this, it's less about what you see and more about what you feel. And if you've ever meditated or you've got really excited about something, it's just it's this passionate desire to share or consume something that you're really, really into. And it just makes you feel good. It's kind of one of those things that feels good, do it. Thriving is analogous to that. You're like, oh my God, I feel like I'm thriving. I feel strong. I feel happy. I feel sleepy, you know? It's as simple as, you know, I love eating when I'm hungry and I love taking naps when I'm sleepy. And I, and I love gathering with people when I feel communal. To me, that's kind of thriving. You're into every moment in such a way that it just consumes you and exudes from you. All consuming. That's awesome. Thank you for ending it in that way. I always end the podcast with what my biggest takeaway was. And for today, I got to go back to that, that ski story. 
the, the 10 days in a row and and really diving deep into things and also the energy that you bring. I think in any given moment, we can sit there and say, are we bringing the most energy that we can possibly bring to the table right now? And if you can say yes, you are living life in the correct way. And if you're listening to this and you're saying no, all you really have to do is ask yourself why. What is causing me not to be energetic and to be passionate? What do I need to take away? I think when you make it that simple, life just becomes better and you will thrive on life. If you love this episode and you love what Lynn had to share today, the wisdom that he dropped, please connect with him. He's an awesome human being. That's the number one first and foremost goal of mine here with the show is to connect awesome people. So please reach out to him. The second thing is to connect this episode of Lens with other people that it could potentially help. So if you have a friend, family member, acquaintance that you think this episode could help, please share it with them. Third thing is please give us that five star rating and review that goes a lot further uh, along than you think. It helps us get our story and the story of Lynn out there to more people that it could help serve. Till next time, this is CJ Finley with the Thrive On Life podcast. Thrive on, y'all. What's up, y'all? This is CJ again. And on behalf of the small team here at Thrive On Life, I'd like to thank you for listening to one of our episodes. Our mission in life is to help people like you fuel your passion and make every heartbeat count. And we realize the best way to do this is together as a team. So we'd love for you to join in on this mission and connect with like-minded individuals within our Thrive On Life community. To do so, please head to thriveonlife.com and connect with us there. We'd love to chat with you. Before I sign off, I'd like you to always remember one thing. When we strive together, we thrive together. So please do your part in helping others thrive on life.